Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. Hey everyone, so this episode will cover the periodontium, and this is an introduction to the periodontium. We'll review some of the basic components of the periodontium, which can be divided into the gingival unit and the attachment apparatus. The information covered in this episode will provide you with just enough of the basics of the periodontium and the gingival unit to be able to do some periodontal charting and gingival assessment activities in the clinical setting. So yes, this is an introduction to the periodontium. Welcome. The periodontium can be divided into two specific sections. The gingival unit, which is made up of the gingiva and the alveolar mucosa, and then the attachment apparatus, which is a unit made up of the periodontal ligament, the cementum, and the alveolar bone. So those are the two sections, the gingival unit and the attachment apparatus unit. So we'll divide into those two segments of the periodontium to really give you a broad understanding of what the periodontium is composed of. The gingival unit is made up of the gingiva and alveolar mucosa. The gingival tissue surrounds the arches of the maxillary and mandibular teeth and each alveolar process. In other words, this mucosa surrounds each tooth and attaches to the underlying bone. Upon clinical inspection, one can notice that there are different types of gingiva within the oral cavity. The gingiva located between the teeth within the embrasure spaces or interdental space is the interdental gingiva, forming individual extensions of the interdental papilla. The interdental papilla fills the embrasure spaces just below the contact areas. This prevents food impaction and provides protection to the teeth and underlying bone. The gingival margin is the edge of the free gingiva closest to the incisal or occlusal surfaces of the tooth. It is located approximately one half millimeter to two millimeters coronal to the CEJ and follows a scalloped pattern along the teeth. This is called marginal gingiva and is free from the underlying tooth surface. It is considered to be part of the masticatory mucosa. The marginal gingiva can be described as cuff-like tissue that surrounds the tooth. The free gingival groove marks the boundary between the marginal gingiva and the attached gingiva. This groove is not always present. In individuals in a healthy state, the free gingival groove could be seen in about one-third of patients. When you are able to see the free gingival groove, you'll see that it runs parallel to the gingival margin, just at or above the level of the base of the sulcus. The gingival sulcus is defined as the space between the free gingiva and the tooth that starts at the gingival margin and ends at the junctional epithelium.
the average depth of the gingival sulcus in health is approximately 1.8 millimeters. This sulcus cannot be seen clinically. The gingival fiber group is found within the lamina propria of the marginal gingiva. This group is made up of connective tissue fibers that provide support to the gingiva. The gingival fiber group does not provide support as it relates to the jaw, like the principal fiber group of the periodontal ligament, and we'll talk more about that later. The gingival fiber group supports the marginal gingiva to maintain its proper relation to the tooth. The gingival fibers are located in the lamina propria of the marginal gingiva. The dentogingival fibers is the most prominent and extensive of all the gingival fibers. It inserts into the cementum near the CEJ and it extends onto the lamina propria of the marginal and attached gingiva. The circular ligament encircles the tooth and it works closely with the dentogingival ligament for support. The alveolo-gingival fibers insert from the alveolar process and extends onto the lamina propria of the marginal gingiva. The dentoperiosteal ligament anchors the tooth to the bone and protects the periodontal ligament. It extends from the cementum apically over the alveolar crest. The transeptal gingival fibers extend horizontally from one tooth to the adjacent tooth. Picture the gingival fibers like having a drawstring purse that pulls together in order to keep the marginal gingiva shape and intact. The call area is a depression between the lingual and facial papilla that conforms to the shape of the proximal contact area and it occupies the gingival embrasure. It can be described as a valley between two mountain peaks or also a dip between the facial and lingual papilla. The shape and the size of the call area conforms to the shape and the size of the contact. The epithelial covering of the call consists of marginal gingiva and because it is stratified non-keratinized epithelium, this area is noted as more vulnerable to disease. The alveolar mucosa is located apically to the attached gingiva. It's continuous with the lining mucosa of the oral vestibule. The apical border is the mucobuccal fold. The coronal border of the alveolar mucosa is the mucogingival junction. To describe the alveolar mucosa, it's a very thin, non-keratinized, stratified squamous epithelium that lies over a very vascular supply in the lamina propria. When you notice this in the clinical setting, you'll notice that the appearance is more reddish in color when you're comparing it to the attached gingiva or the buccal mucosa because of that vascular supply. The alveolar mucosa meets the attached gingiva at a very distinct and observable landmark known as the mucogingival junction. 
And this is more evident in some patients than in others, but you'll be able to, if you pull the lip out, you'll be able to see that demarcation fairly clearly when you look at the color differentiation between these two landmarks. The dent of gingival junction is the junction between the tooth and the gingiva that's made up of sulcular epithelium and junctional epithelium. The sulcular epithelium makes up the walls of the gingival sulcus. The gingival sulcus is filled with gingival crevicular fluid that's provided by the blood supply of the lamina dura. The gingival crevicular fluid seeps between the epithelial cells and makes its way into the gingival sulcus. The junctional epithelium surrounds the tooth surface like a turtleneck and attaches to the tooth surface by the epithelial attachment. What's really cool about the junctional epithelium is that it can attach to the tooth surface components, either the enamel, it can attach to the cementum, it can also attach to dentin. The free gingiva is that outer anatomic feature that corresponds to the apical border of the junctional epithelium. The epithelial attachment refers to the attachment of the junctional epithelium to the actual tooth surface. Hemidesmosomes are, attach the epithelial cells to the tooth and the connective tissue. Desmosomes attach the epithelial cells to one another, and these are two important distinctions to know. To pull it all together, the junctional epithelium lines the floor of the gingival sulcus and is attached to the tooth surface. The junctional epithelium attaches to that tooth structure by way of the epithelial attachment. On the outer surface of the gingiva, the free gingival groove corresponds to the apical border of that gingival epithelium when you're looking at it in a clinical setting. Visually consider how the depth of the gingival sulcus is measured. A probe is used to measure the distance between the gingival margin and the junctional epithelium. The depth of that sulcus can vary and is considered healthy between about a half of a millimeter to three millimeters in depth. When you insert the probe into the pocket, you're going into the gingival pocket by way of the gingival margin and you're passing right over the sulcular epithelium and you're stopped at the epithelial attachment by touching the junctional epithelium. The attached gingiva is that part of the gingiva that is attached to the underlying bone and cementum. It's continuous with the epithelium of free gingiva. The coronal border of the attached gingiva is located at the base of the sulcus. The apical border of the attached gingiva is located right at the mucogingival junction. The appearance, if you were to look at the attached gingiva clinically, is pink in a healthy patient and has stippling if you were to dry off the tissue. The attached gingiva that covers the alveolar process is considered masticatory mucosa. In the clinical setting, it will be important for the dental hygienist to make the distinction of the marked end of the attached gingiva and locate that apical border called the mucogingival junction. 
so that they can know areas of concern with the width of the attached gingiva. Now keep in mind, the mucogingival junction is considered a dividing zone between that firmly bound keratinized attached gingiva and the non-keratinized alveolar mucosal tissue. This could also be seen as a line between the masticatory mucosa and the lining mucosa. Documentation should be done in areas where the width of the attached gingiva is two millimeters or less. This may be considered normal for your patient, and there are studies that indicate that the average mean width is about three to 12 millimeters. When you highlight areas where the width of attached gingiva is less than two millimeters, it gives you an opportunity to have a focused attention to observe and monitor those specific areas for possible future changes. There is a functional need for an adequate level of attached gingiva, especially in our patients that are at risk for periodontal infection. Let's take a look at the attachment apparatus. This is composed of the cementum, the periodontal ligament, and the alveolar bone. Starting with the periodontal ligament, the periodontal ligament is connective tissue which surrounds the root and connects the tooth with the periosteum of the alveolar bone. Because it is connective tissue, it has all the traits of connective tissue such as intercellular substances, fibers, and cells. The periodontal ligament has primarily type 1 collagen. It has a very vascular blood supply and two types of nerves, both sensory and autonomic sympathetic nerves that regulate those blood vessels. The periodontal ligament is the widest at the apex and cervix of the tooth and is narrower between the two endpoints of the cementum and bone. The thinnest part of the periodontal ligament is located around the middle third of the root. The collagen fibers that make up the periodontal ligament are attached at the cementum and at the alveolar bone. The terminal ends of the periodontal ligament that attach to both the cementum and the alveolar bone are called Sharpies fibers. These Sharpies fibers are wider in diameter and more numerous on the alveolar process and weave out towards the connection point at the cementum side of that connection point. Sharpies fibers are partially inserted into the hard tissues of the periodosteum and become a intricate network web of mineralized fibers over the course of time. Let's take a look at the principal fiber groups of the periodontal ligament. The alveolar crest group, they move from the cementum just below the CEJ to the alveolar crest. The horizontal fibers move from the alveolar bone to the cementum. The oblique fibers move from the cementum to the alveolar bone in an oblique direction. The apical fibers move from the alveolar bone to the cementum at the apex, and the interradicular fibers move from the alveolar bone to the cementum in the furcation areas, 
what I want you to do is picture that the tooth is held in place by these periodontal ligament fibers and they um, orient themselves in all different directions because of their function and location. The functions of the periodontal ligament is supportive where it supports and anchors the tooth. It provides a blood supply so it's nutritive. It allows for innervation so it's sensory because of all these different ligaments going in different directions, it can tell that you're chewing and eating food and provide innervation for the proper amount of force in chewing. It's formative. It forms cementum and periosteum of bone. The cementum is defined as calcified tissue that covers the anatomical root. The main function of the cementum is to attach the fibers of the periodontal ligament to the tooth. The cementum does not contain any blood vessels or innervation. It is continuously formed and deposited in the apical areas. And there are two types of cementum. There's acellular, which forms in conjunction with the root formation and the tooth eruption. And then there's cellular cementum, which forms in the apical third after the tooth is erupted. And there's cells that are contained there for forming cementum. Remember, there's three relationships that exist for cementum and enamel. About 10% of, of the time, there's a gap between the cementum and the enamel and the dentin is exposed. About 30% of the time, the cementum and the enamel meet at the CEJ. And then about 60% of the time, the cementum overlaps the enamel at the CEJ. The third component of the attachment apparatus is the alveolar bone. The alveolar bone is the area of the jaw that contains the teeth. This uh, is sometimes referred to as the alveolar process. The alveolar bone is composed of two different groups that have the same features and characteristics. Group one is the alveolar bone proper, also known as the dura, And group two is the supporting alveolar bone. The alveolar bone proper is located in the tooth socket and it's considered to be a thin lining, if you can picture that. The alveolar bone proper is made up of compact bone, but it does contain many holes or Volkmann's canals. This allows for uh, nerve and blood to pass through from the alveolar bone proper to the periodontal ligament. It's important to know that as a result of the attachment of those Sharpies fibers that we talked about, from the periodontal ligament into the alveolar bone proper, the alveolar bone proper can also be referred to as bundle bone. Now the alveolar crest is located just below the level of the CEJ in a healthy patient and it follows a uniform line along the ridge. Group two is the supporting alveolar bone, which is made of both cortical bone and trabicular bone. The trabicular bone is composed of cancellous bone, and this is located between the alveolar bone proper and the plates of the cortical bone. You'll see on a radiograph that this appears radiopaque. 
The cortical bone is composed of compact bone on both the facial and the lingual surfaces of the alveolar process. And to note that due to the location on those facial and lingual surfaces, you're not able to see visibly that bone on a radiographic image. The alveolar process that separates the roots of the same tooth is known as the interradicular septum. The interradicular septum is composed of both alveolar bone proper and trabecular bone. Moving away from the tooth socket, let's take a look at the bone between adjacent teeth. The alveolar process between adjacent teeth is called the interdental septum. The interdental septum is made up of compact bone of the alveolar bone proper and cancellous bone of the trabecular bone. The alveolar bone proper and the alveolar crest can really reveal treatment, treatment needs and the presence of infection or trauma or even disease within our patient populations. It's really important to learn the anatomy and health and review the corresponding radiographs to make that connection between the anatomy as well as the clinical presentation of changes so that a clinician can note when there is infection, trauma, or disease that may be present. In the clinical setting, when looking at a radiograph, the cortical bone will appear as a thin, radiopaque line surrounding the roots of the teeth. Now, because cortical bone is more compact, it will have this appearance. When you're reviewing a radiograph, the cortical bone is referred to as the lamina dura. Now the supporting bone, which is described as the soft, spongy, cancellous bone, appears as a series of small radiolucent compartments when you're looking at a radiograph. This episode should provide you with just enough of the anatomy of the periodontium as well as clinical findings and significance of the periodontium so that you may begin using the probe in the clinical setting and doing a gingival assessment. Both of those are part of the assessment process. As you progress through the program, you will learn more about the periodontium as it relates to breakdown, disease, trauma, and infection. But for now, this is your introduction to the periodontium. In the next episode, we'll be taking a look at the gingival assessment. The gingival assessment is part of your assessment piece in the clinical setting. It's important for the clinician to understand the clinical markers and the descriptors that are associated with those markers as the indicators that are connected to the presence of disease. You have to have a pretty good understanding of the gingival assessment and what each one of those findings indicate. So that's what we'll be taking a look at in the next episode. I hope you'll join me. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of the show notes. Happy studying! I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. 
I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast.